This is Deceleration, deceleration.news. We're talking about nuclear power, Nazi terror, domestic terrorism, and security of the electrical grid. Thanks for joining us. So after 9-11, things ratcheted up, not to the extent we think they needed to, um, yeah, but now they're, you know, they're finding all sorts of ways to pare back on those security requirements, and uh, we're on the verge of some decisions that the NRC may make, which could significantly impair uh, the ability of uh, plants to withstand attack, which is foolish given, again, the, this domestic threat. That is Edwin Lyman of the Union Concern, of Concerned Scientists uh, speaking with Deceleration this week. Um, and, and he is the Director of Nuclear Power Safety at the UCS, the former president of the Nuclear Control Institute and member of the Institute of Nuclear Materials Management. Now, this is all kind of familiar territory for us from, gosh, a, a decade ago and, and, and more back uh, kind of on the tailwind uh, when San Antonio was trying to expand our holdings on the coast, uh, the, the South Texas Project nuclear complex uh, that uh, we had to sue our way out of that that project, um, uh, expansion project, when costs, anticipated costs, ballooned over a very short period from about $8 billion to $18 billion. We lost uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in the process. And uh, while I was, that was back when I was working at the San Antonio Current and, and then later doing some freelance work, I'm and thinking a lot about nuclear safety and uh, this, this plant on the coast exposed uh, to the Gulf. Um, is one that at the time there was a report that came out, a, a press materials that came out from UT, a uh, non, non-proliferation program that kind of highlighted those uh, uh, insecurities. And so uh, visiting this week, a uh, very different kind of backdrop, and this is you know the rise of domestic terrorism, neo-Nazi terrorism, a, a ongoing and escalating targeting of power infrastructure and electrical infrastructure in the United States. As we list out uh, on our story at deceleration.news, um, these uh, targeted attacks seem to be accelerating across the country. There's you know multiple cases from 2022 that are highlighted there. We looked at DOE, Department of Energy data for Texas, and the overall numbers for what they what they 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 link to or what they link are cyber events plus vandalism plus suspicious activity plus physical attacks uh on electrical infrastructure and we looked in the state of texas and they just you know they just you know like skyrocket 2021 and 22 and we have been calling individual uh, law enforcement agencies the doe has not responded to our inquiry uh, and we we've, we've been able to link a couple of incidents that seem to gel with what the doe is listening um, but you know this is not all. I want to want to say of these you know twenty some you know incidents right from uh, twenty twenty two. They're not all um, attacks right, and 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 that's those are the ones that are we're trying to figure out uh, what what is actually happening. But there's certainly folks from Texas who have gone to other states um, who uh, in one case they were you know uh, had you know a, a plot 
supposedly was was foiled in which you know these these folks were you know practicing you know that you know weapons together they were you know suit you know wearing suicide necklaces one one of fentanyl and and, and one of these uh, swallowed theirs you know when they were uh, taken into custody uh, and recruiting recruiting across the state of Texas so this is it doesn't is not going you know in reverse it's going you know forward and it's something that in for san antonio and for broader san antonio folks who rely on power from cps energy or our partners at stp it's something to really pay attention to uh at least here in san antonio right moving forward we're getting off of coal power and then in a few years uh expanding our gas footprint it looks like uh and um the the the, the nuclear footprint doesn't change we're, we're currently i think overall capacity is about 13 percent of the entire uh energy mix uh and yet the the, the generation uh that we're, we're we're bringing in from that plant it's it's you know 25 percent or more uh of what we're using our electricity every year for the for people in the city of san antonio and i'm, and I'm sure there's you know others that are in that same ballpark so uh i this issue of security is one we're going to have to be really looking at. Uh, and so without further ado, here's uh, uh, Dr. Lyman. I think people should be paying more attention than they are uh, to the nuclear safety and security issues. Uh, unfortunately, um, because we're talking about, uh, you know, the worst, uh, the worst consequences are from events that are hard to uh you know they're either um, very remote possibilities or hard to assess the possibility for example a terrorist attack uh, people simply don't pay attention unless there's something screaming at them uh, as an emergency so uh, you know we've seen people's concern about nuclear power in, in this country just wax and wane over time you know as uh, you know, accidents like Chernobyl and Fukushima have occurred, but people tend to forget because there's no real news uh, and they become complacent. And then there's also this headwind of um, this massive PR campaign to kind of rebrand nuclear as clean, safe energy, hmm. uh, which um, is in, you know, the, the industry's overreaction to trying to win over public hearts and minds to support nuclear power expansion. Mm -hmm. And that uh, is having some effect in that uh, they, they've managed to sort of um, characterize people who are worried about nuclear safety as, uh, um, you know, just um, nervous Nellies or uh, mm -hmm. uh, people who don't understand the new technologies, people who are uh, Luddites, you know, people who are worried about the wrong things. And uh, I think it's misguided. You have to understand where it's coming from. It's, it's really spearheaded by the nuclear industry and its supporters, but it's managed to change a lot of hearts and minds. And I think that's distorting the policy landscape and also the ability to have an intelligent discussion about these issues. So I, I am concerned mm -hmm. uh, about this complacency. What about the, how would you describe the gap between what kind of actually occurred in terms of ecological and human health, um, both, you know, uh, with Chernobyl and uh, Fukushima 
Um, I've, I remember, I mean, it's been a while, like I mentioned in an email from, from me since I've been looking at this, but I, I, at the time, at both those times, I, I did probably more than my, my share in terms of the average American research into, um, uh, what what actually occurred the, the mortalities and and, and and illnesses and ecological harm how would how would you quantify the the distance between those two things well the problem is that the effects of radiation uh, you know especially at low levels are um, are hard to detect right. so people you know the industry will point to, you know that only I don't know what they say twenty five or thirty people died because of Chernobyl and no one died because of Fukushima. So somehow that means it's all okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know the insidious thing is that exposure to low level radiation is not going to lead to any kind of immediate or visible health effects, mm-hmm. but can cause cancer over time. And um, you know because it would take you know pretty significant. Uh, doses to a lot of people to actually lead to detectable, uh, you know, uh, excess cancer rates. Uh, I mean, background cancer rates are very high, you know, human beings. So it takes, you know, it takes a huge uh, insult uh, to really be able to see signals. You have to do studies very, very carefully if you want to look for those kinds of signals. And in most cases, we know that people are being exposed, were exposed, and continue to be exposed from radiation that was released during those accidents. But in most cases, those cancers will not be detectable in an epidemiological sense, but it doesn't mean they're not there. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's, it's kind of deceptive to pretend that, that there is no effect um, from from that exposure, for instance, um, at Chernobyl, there is one type of cancer that, because it's so so rare, um, and the exposures were so high that there's little doubt that it was um, the excesses were caused by exposure to radioactive iodine. That's thyroid cancer in children, mm-hmm. where you know, a couple of um, ten to twenty thousand excess cancers uh, among children. At the time of the accident, but you know most most other forms of cancer aren't going to be that obvious. So, um, uh, but based on forward projections, in other words, knowing something about how the how much radiation was released, what kind it is, and where it's dispersed, um, you can make estimates that are probably tens of thousands of um, cancers that will be caused by Chernobyl, and probably thousands um, as a result of Fukushima. But again, you can't, um, there's no label mm-hmm. on those diseases to say this is what caused it. So mm-hmm. um, but that's part of the issue. So the industry and supporters trying to gaslight people and saying that these are totally benign technologies when they're not. And it doesn't mean you can't use nuclear power. It just means you need to respect its risks. And Unfortunately, if people are uh, lulled into complacency, there's little support for the measures that are needed to make sure those risks are minimized. Yeah, let me ask you kind of on, on risk on just on on, a, on what we know about, you know, when, when things are functioning 
you know, by according to whatever regulatory, you know, frameworks exist as they are today. Um, I know you noticed you, you had, you had a hatch two reference in Georgia on your, on your Twitter feed um, uh, earlier today. And, and, I mean, without, you know, barring, I mean, you know, I, I reached out to you, you know, to kind of pursue this conversation about kind of worst case and right. terror attacks and Nazis right. in the U S right. um, but barring all of that um, there are, there are issues that occur. And I'm wondering if you could maybe highlight a couple of those so people understand um, what we're working with under the current regulatory environment and the yeah. way these older plants are operating. Yeah. I mean, the, the nuts and bolts of nuclear safety are literally, you know, that there are valves that need to mm -hmm. open or shut when you need them to. Mm -hmm. And that takes some level of maintenance and repair and, and testing to make sure that those all function. And if, and if you uh, are negligent, if the company's trying to save money and they cut back on those things, then those valves may not work when they're needed. So it's really, um, you know, again, it points to what would happen in, if you do have a more severe kind of upset uh, that could potentially evolve into a serious accident, uh, you need to have all those safety systems in working order. And that means being able to, you know, close and open those valves. Mm -hmm. And so the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, to its credit, is doing new a series of inspections to focus on these things like valves because they were finding uh, that there was, um, uh, you know, across the industry, probably as a result of cutting back on maintenance to save money, uh, that there were high higher levels of, you know, valve uh, failures or uh, um, valve unavailability mm -hmm. and uh, that, you know, that cumulatively could be, could add up to a serious problem if in the case when you need to rely on that and it's not working, um, you, you could have a problem. And another aspect is just the human capital, you know, the environment uh, in which workers carry out their duties, both safety and security. And there are some pervasive um, issues of safety and security culture uh, at various plants where workers are intimidated, they're afraid to come forward they, um, with their concerns, uh, and they uh, they feel disrespected, their working conditions aren't good, They, you know, and, and those, of course, you know, like any other industry, uh, those can add up to serious problems because it's you require a high level of, of performance to make sure that nuclear plants are unsafe. So. I have a, uh, I just turned it around. I, I, at some point in my life, I picked up somebody's, uh, let's see if I have it here. There was a doctoral dissertation of, the, of someone up at Texas Tech. Mm. And it was called, uh, titled Lone, The Lone Star and the Atom. Mm. And uh, it detailed, it was pretty, for me, I don't know if I ever, it didn't fit into the kind of how I was writing or what I was writing about, but it was about uh, labor. A lot of it was about labor and building yes. these power plants um, and just how atrocious uh, the, both workers were treated and these contracts, the corner cutting. And it, it was, it was pretty eye opening. Yeah. Yeah, so, was, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go on. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I get the point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so 
related to kind of like the kind of like the topic that you know when i when i, I reached out to you I, I have been calling a lot of the uh texas um local police and mm. county sheriffs and trying trying to check doe data i haven't found anything yet i mean i don't know when when the doe marks something a suspicious activity or you know uh and they and they put it on a chart in terms of energy you know grid security uh, mm-hmm. that may not involve local law enforcement i don't know but uh so that's kind of what i was looking at and I, I stumbled across one one of these one of the nazis in ohio that are under federal indictment in ohio i think an ohio case um is from katie texas uh and then you know uh one of these founders of uh, probably the super decentralized and more radical more uh groups in florida had made reference to you know they were they had wanted to target a power plant in florida um exactly exactly um and so in relation then to so south texas project nuclear complex i mean this is one where um and i don't remember all the specifics but i remember there was concerns about one its exposure uh kind of like to you know the i guess it's hard hard to defend i guess and and also like backup generators were were not Great, uh, all these reasons that the, the folks at the nonproliferation uh, studies in UT had kind of like put STP on their short mm-hmm. list of vulnerable yeah. reactors, and I'm just wondering if you can maybe speak to kind of the kinds of things that they're looking at or, or people look at with nuclear power plants in terms of their vulnerabilities. Yes, well, the it's important to understand that no matter how safe the nuclear plant beef with regard to its normal operation and, you know, the uh, kinds of accidents that might occur uh, that are very infrequent, you know, severe earthquakes, floods, um, or just a, a internal accident that could propagate, you know, that, you know, generally the, those risks are, are fairly low, you know, of course it depends on how much you know, for example, about the flooding risks. But um, mm-hmm. um, but no matter how safe that plant looks with regard to those things, all bets are off when you're talking about a terrorist attack because the terrorists, you know, what they're doing could sabotage the multiple backup safety systems that are there, again, mm-hmm. to protect against accidents. So, you know, the risk of multiple simultaneous failures in diverse safety systems is low if it just happens at random but if someone knows what they're doing they can target all those at the same time so mm-hmm. you can't really put a number on how likely is you know a, a terrorist attack to lead to a, a chernobyl type accident that's why you you know you generally need to have uh, strong security to prevent uh, terrorists from accessing the vital areas of the plant so the first vulnerability is, of course, the offsite power lines, and that's you know was targeted in the past, like by uh, uh, Earth First, I guess, right, um, mm-hmm. in Arizona, and those are not protected, as we know. And but nuclear power plants depend on those offsite power lines as their primary power source. So what you see at, at Zaporizhia in Ukraine mm-hmm. is that. Um, when explosions were disabling their offsite power lines, they were forced to go and back up emergency diesel generators on site. 
and you can't really you can't operate the reactor when all you rely on is the diesel generators and they are inherently uh, you know they have their own vulnerabilities and they need fuel etc so um uh, so it's not you know a safe condition to rely on to not have offsite power for too long but you have to assume that in a terrorist attack that's the first thing they would cut and they would have no problem doing that so then as part of a um, organized terrorist attack then the goal would be to destroy as much equipment on site as would be needed to render inoperable all the all the backup systems you would need if you lose off-site power and that includes things like the diesel generators or uh, various types of you know, cooling systems and pumps and the pipes that support those so there are a whole lot of ways you can sabotage a nuclear plant leading to uh, a core melt within a matter of hours or less if mm -hmm. people know what they're doing and depending on the details of the plant it could take only uh you know the attacks in a couple of places uh, to do that so you really need to keep you know have security forces to keep those adversaries away from these this, this equipment and that's the so um you know over time the nuclear regulatory commission strengthened its requirements for security and now has what's called this um uh you know, design basis threat. So it's a postulated terrorist attack and security forces are required to be able to uh, interdict and to neutralize that attacker. And that's the responsibility of the plan owner under the present uh, guideline or requirements with a few exceptions. But, um, uh, but the, you know, the issues that UT outlined that paper and things that you know I've been studying for many decades uh, have to do with whether the assumptions about that threat are realistic or are they lowballing threat mm -hmm. and um, and are the measures and uh, that are taking response to the even the threat that they're required to meet uh, are they actually going to be good enough and um, so. It's not only having everything in place, but being able to test it uh, is, is a critical part. So the NRC actually has a requirement, which was introduced after 9-11, partly due to the efforts of uh, groups I work for, um, that requires, uh, as a legal requirement, that they have to be inspected with force-on-force -force exercises where the NRC inspectors will stage mock terrorist attacks and mm. see how well the security force does. Uh, but the problem is that security costs money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to maintain uh, a full complement of security officers, and, you know, five shifts a week, uh, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of security officers. Mm -hmm. And that's, a, you know, an expense of $10 million in a year. Um, what was that? You you I got a little bit of interference. Yes. How much per year are you do you estimate? Well, you know, let's say there are two hundred guards and they're for one plant. Yeah, remember you have to have multiple shifts. Yeah, right. And so let's say they earn hundred thousand a year. So you're talking about twenty million a year. So 
it's, yeah. it's, and that's just the human, uh, you know, just the salaries. Yeah. Uh, there's all the maintaining the equipment and all the other auxiliary requirements. So it costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And the industry has always seen that as a good place to cut because if you don't really believe that there's right. this threat out there, then why are we spending all this money to do that? Right. And that is their op. And so their game has been for decades to try to lessen that, uh, that those security burdens and the, and the associated cost. And they've been having some success in the last 10 years or so. So, so after 9-11, things ratcheted up, not to the extent we think they needed to, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, but now they're, you know, they're finding all sorts of ways to pare back on those security requirements. And uh, we're on the verge of some decisions that the NRC may make, which could significantly impair uh, the ability of uh, plants to withstand attack, which is foolish given, again, the, this domestic threat uh, that may be increasing. Can you tell me what that what that vote is or when that may be coming? Yeah, well, th- this is a proposal to give more credit to local law enforcement response okay. and therefore allow on-site security forces to be less, uh, you know, uh, to have less responsibility and therefore the owners have less responsibility. And this is something that other countries do. You know, they, some countries, they have minimal, you know, on-site security. Uh, their main goal of the on-site security is to, if they detect something, they call the local you know, cavalry and they're supposed to show up and do the dirty work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but the U S you know, because of the, the, this legal requirement that the owner has to defend the plant uh, without taking credit for local law enforcement. So that that's led to this requirement for having, you know, these armed responders on 24 seven. But this, but the industry has been pushing to go in the direction of, you know, other countries where you reduce the on-site security and give off-site law enforcement more of a role. And that's problematic in a lot of ways. I mean, first, I mean, the obvious thing is that local law enforcement is not, they don't work for the utility. Uh, They, you know, they have other responsibilities and they may not have the funding or even, you know, the training, the equipment to necessarily respond to what could happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that, is com- compounded now by the potential that local enforcement might be in on the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And also, um, you know, certainly in Texas, uh, I probably don't even have to mention the, the Valde massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that, that just shows that your local law enforcement, unless they are trained and equipped and um, have the right plans in place and can respond promptly and know what to do and coordinate with on-site and everything else. If you know, all that is not there, then this response could be, you know, they, they couldn't even protect these poor children against this one, mm-hmm. one you know, teenager. So, you know, the idea that we're going to give local law enforcement more responsibility without giving them the resources or any of that is just downright dangerous. And I, to, you know, for the life of me, I can't understand why the NRC is even entertaining this proposal, but 
there's currently a voting paper in front of the five commissioners. The, the vote is not in yet, um, but that could um, essentially authorize going in this direction of, of giving local law enforcement the these additional responsibilities. Given, given the procedural aspects of this, it sounds like, I mean, is there still a window for public um, sentiment to be, you know, effective in, in this vote? It sounds like it's the vote's been called, the paperwork, as you say, is out. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing, you know, the public's free to contact the commissioners and tell them what they think. Yeah. Um, but there's no formal role for the public in that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you know, a federal agency can always be sued for an arbitrary and capricious decision, maybe that's becoming easier now with the current Supreme Court than it used to be. Mm -hmm. But it's still a huge lift uh, to sue a federal agency you know, maybe EPA is, um, you know, it, it's pretty common, but it's not, it's very hard to do with the NRC, partly because judges simply don't feel like they have, you know, the knowledge uh, to second guess uh, this regulatory agency with all the specialized, uh, you know, training and, and uh, subject matter experts, et cetera. So, so um, you know, uh, but, you know, um, this wouldn't require, well, it's not clear if it would require a, a change to the rules or not. Mm -hmm. And if, if, you know, I think if they determine it does, then there, there would be more opportunity for public input because, uh, through the rulemaking process, mm -hmm. but just, uh, you know, a vote that doesn't entail a new rule, that's a policy matter by the commission, right? It's very hard public to influence them there's a lot of money in, in, in federal you know interest in the inflation reduction act and there's um as you said the lobbying is is pretty strong and and uh, i've had you know people approaching me that have, are asking questions about nuclear that haven't been there for i've been in san antonio since 2007 and and i didn't see a lot of boosters around right um and there they are so is there a place for this and under what under what conditions and circumstances for kind of like a new generation? Well, th there may be a place for it, but you you have to you can't cut corners on safety and security. Yeah. And um you know, we don't see it as you know, nuclear power is inevitable and essential, and you know, no matter what the risks are, you know, we just have to make it fit. We think you know you have to, it has to meet some bottom line standards uh, for it to be an acceptable solution, and it's just not clear yet whether the economics is going to be there. You know, even with uh, all the subsidies that are being lavished on it right now, um, that, that it will be uh, competitive with low carbon resources that don't carry these safety and security risks. So. Right. Uh, no, you got to take take the risk seriously and not just try to gaslight the public into thinking that it's completely harmless mm -hmm. uh, and uh, go forward with trying to make it as cheap as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever the risks, that's not the right approach. And so that, uh, so I feel like the way the industry and their cheerleaders are carrying on now, they're going to make it harder 
uh, for nuclear power to be deployed safely because they aren't, you know, mm-hmm. they think the public and the public image is the problem and not their own, you know, they're not taking care of their own house. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah. And, and I would say even domestically, I mean, we, we, people are used to thinking about and talking about uh, if, if any, if at all, you know, Fukushima and, and, and um, Chernobyl, but we certainly have um, a history of near misses and, and some releases in the, in the U S that folks maybe aren't quite sure. as familiar with. And, and the issue of waste seems to continue, still be kind of a um, forever storage um and, and dilution, I guess, are the two options. Well, I mean, the only viable option, you know, for long-term disposal of, of spent fuel is a deep geological repository, and there's no program right now right. to even find one. So, um, you know, so that can is they're kicking it down the road even further, and again, trying to paper over that issue by pretending that there's going to be some new exciting technology that'll be able to make the nuclear waste problem go away. And that's mm-hmm. another, you know, misleading, uh, potentially dangerous direction, uh, which um, again is, is uh, just distracting from trying to solve the problem uh, in a meaningful way that would really enable nuclear power to thrive. You know, they're, they're looking for silver bullets that aren't there and that's just going to, cause us to, you know, go down rabbit holes and potentially pursue very dangerous options like uh, reprocessing spent fuel, which has serious uh, proliferation risks because it produces separated plutonium. And then, of course, you have, uh, you're not that close to Abilene, I guess, but, uh, you know, they're the Abilene Christian University wants to build this research molten salt reactor, didn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, so yeah, can you tell? Can you speak to that? Because I got like, I, I saw the NRC. I get you know press releases and things like that on inspections, right. but I just don't know enough to. Right. How significant is this, and and what is this technology? Well, you know that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's a type of nuclear reactor that I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand why anyone's interested in it. Wow. Um, because it, you know, instead of having solid fuel with a cladding around it so that you do have additional layers of protection against release of radiation. This would use a liquid fuel mm. where the, the fission products are constantly bubbling up and being released. And so they have to be captured and filtered, but you can't capture everything. So uh, I don't know if that campus, if the student body there really understands what, what they're in for, mm. uh, if this thing even goes forward. And I think it's being funded by some, you know, some wealthy individual um, who may, you know, may lose interest if, mm-hmm. if they run into problems, which I'm sure they will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I highlighted you're... there was an NRC letter recently where they said they had to consult with the Department of Homeland Security on the vulnerabilities of that site mm-hmm. um, with regard to terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll 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 look for that letter also. And thanks for thanks for bringing that up because I certainly I did get that email and and, right. and it has not been on top of my mind. We right. we're right. not that close, but we're not that far right. either. And okay. um and certainly we're it's just a matter of um yeah our 
Where is that? Is that west of Dallas? Where is it? Yeah, it's it's yeah. west. Uh, yeah, it's northwest. It's almost to getting into the panhandle, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there these are emissions that can't be captured that just are in the are in the campus environment. Is that what you're saying? Well, this uh, this reactor will be bubbling. You know, we'll get fission product gases uh, mm -hmm. like uh, xenon and krypton radioactive. And they're going to bubble out of the fuel. And so it has to have this elaborate system for capturing and storing and, and processing those gases, um, which uh, is, you know, it's an engineering challenge uh, in itself and not even clear how effective it would be. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly if the amount of money they, they have. So the, I think this reactor in, in a number of ways is is a real threat to that campus. You said it is a real threat to that campus? Yes. Thank you for tuning in again to Deceleration's podcast. Uh, check us out, deceleration.news. Support us at uh, Patreon. Or, um, hey, check out our calendar, the happening calendar. And we'll see you next time. Thank mm -hmm. you.